Welcome to Nutritank's podcast. When you tune in, you're going to listen to a fantastic array of speakers speaking about things in the following fields such as food, farming, nutrition, lifestyle medicine and other areas of health. We can't wait to have you with us on this journey. Millennials, coddled entitled, narcissistic, work shy and bloody lazy. We want to redeem millennials and give ourselves a good reputation. We have poured endless passions and hard work into Nutritank and this podcast. We hope you learn and enjoy. Hello everyone, it's your host Ali Jaffe and on today's podcast we've not got one but two lovely speakers. Dr. Frankie Jackson-Spence and Dr. Christy Lewis. Dr. Frankie is an NHS doctor and media medic. She graduated as a doctor from the University of Birmingham in 2018. She is currently working full-time in the NHS as a Foundation Year 2 doctor whilst running an extremely educational social media account at Dr. Frankie JS. This account busts common health myths through her hashtag Medical Mondays and provides evidence-based information on health and well-being. You may also recognise her from the articles she contributes to in magazines like Women's Health and Runner's World. Alongside this, she's a qualified personal trainer and online coach and works with many fantastic fitness brands such as F45 and At Bear Bells UK. Currently, she is producing lots of content relevant to COVID-19 and answering many questions, busting myths there too. So let's get on to Dr Christie. Dr. Christie first qualified as a physiotherapist before going on to study medicine. After some stressful, intense years working as a junior doctor, Christie qualified as a GP. In her words, when I eventually qualified as a GP, I thought I had finally reached my career goal, but something wasn't right. So, after experiencing a period of burnout, exhaustion, and anxiety, Christie felt unfulfilled in that she only had 10 minutes with each patient and she could barely touch the surface of their presenting complaints. So she decided to retrain as a health and life coach. She's now an expert in stress, anxiety and burnout and has an amazing insight, having experienced and dealt with these emotions during her life. She's also the co-founder of Restorative Retreats, relaxing weekend retreats in the countryside. She works two days as a GP in the NHS and the rest as a health and life coach. Her social media account at Dr Christy Lewis provides fantastic content about managing anxiety, stress and burnout and providing lots of evidence-based and expert tips. So let's welcome our fantastic guests. Hey Frankie and Christy, it's so great to have you on the pod. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, welcome. So to begin with, it would be great if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and um, tell them what you're doing with your current work, especially in light with co- with the COVID crisis. Hi guys, and thank you so much, Ali, for having me on. Um, and hi, Frankie. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, at the moment, um, I have a bit of a funny um, week because I've got uh, lots of different roles uh, in my job. So I'm a GP, 
and uh, so at the moment I'm working a couple of days a week doing GP work and so my typical day is literally sort of getting up, going into work, um, seeing, well at the moment I'm not seeing patients, um, I'm generally seeing, uh, doing telephone consultations and video consultations and things, um, I'm working as a GP during the day and then I've also got evening work, I do virtual kind of um, uh, GP work as well um, which is, is quite different um, but it's nice at the moment during the pandemic that I can actually still um, do that work it's amazing I feel very grateful for that and um, and then also I do have health and life coaching as well on a couple of days a week so I've got a um, and that's all virtual so I, I've got my own private business doing that and so I've got a really really um, varied week and each week is different according to my, my coaching clients so it's actually really nice to um, have a huge balance in my in my working week that sounds so exciting and definitely nice to have the variety and what about you Frankie how's everything changed what year of medicine are you will you tell our listeners Uh, yeah so I am a foundation year two doctor so I graduated two years ago um and my working life has changed massively with covid I was actually also working in general practice um for the start of the pandemic and again um like Christy was doing mainly video and e-consultations. But then a couple of weeks in when the demand in hospitals increased, I actually got redeployed to work on the front line in A&E. So it's massively different. Um, Each day is different. Um, I'm working now shift patterns, weekends, nights, which is very different to my life on GP. Um, And my working day will involve mainly seeing COVID patients as I'm there to support um, the COVID side of A&E. Um, but I do sometimes work on the other side of A&E, which is your general accident and emergency presentations. Um, and then on my days off, um, I obviously run uh, my social media page, which is at Dr. Frankie JS. Um, and I'm doing lots of things like this, like podcasts, um, speaking to the press, basically just trying to be a good source of information for the public because I think it can be very confusing at the moment. Completely and on to the subject of it being quite confusing there's a lot of misinformation that goes around and um, both of you so um, whoever wants to answer first what do you think are the kind of key lessons that we need to be telling the public about when it comes to protective equipment, um, wearing gloves in public, masks, uh, social distancing, all the things that the government are telling us, but sometimes it gets misconstrued? I would say that um, it's important that the public are going to the right sources of information. So watching the news and the daily update is important, uh, keeping up to date on the government website, NHS website. And also you can use social media for information if you use reputable sources that are evidence-based i think it's important that people really take things with a pinch of salt as there's a lot of pseudoscience on instagram and youtube and things um so i definitely say get your information from reputable sources great and um christy have you noticed that the usual stresses and anxieties that patients present with are being overshadowed by covid or are people still presenting as they usually would? Yeah, I have to admit the um, the proportion of people presenting with our normal kind of day to day GP cases has changed. It has reduced a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the first sort of two three weeks of um, the pandemic occurring, uh, there was a huge amount of um, anxieties. People calling up. Uh, 
really scared, um, anxious, a lot of mental health problems um, on the rise. And, you know, and so we did see a lot of that. And then we did see a lot of people just not really sure what to do, because I think at the very beginning, there was quite a lot of mixed messages. Um, it wasn't overly clear what we were meant to be doing. And so, yes, there was a huge amount of anxiety. But now things have started settling down. People have got into their routine. People are understanding the virus a little bit more and what we're meant to be doing. I'm finding that the general kind of GP problems are coming back and um, people are generally presenting um, as normal. But we are a little bit worried because we aren't seeing as many people presenting with those sorts of um, symptoms. So, for example, cancer, uh, you know, the, the early signs of cancer and um, and I would say typical GP uh you know mm. cases and we are a little bit concerned because I think there also are some mixed messages and, and people are worried that GP surgeries are not open but they are open um, you know we are still seeing patients if we need to but we are just trying to reduce the face-to-face -face consultations we're just trying to do video and telephone where possible but if we need to see someone we 100% will see people so um, mm. yeah GP surgeries are open <laughs> <laughs> on that note um, I can just touch on what I'm seeing in the emergency yes, department absolutely Obviously, I was very anxious about about starting work in A&E during this time and actually I've been quite surprised to see that the numbers of patients presenting are massively reduced from normal and um, so I mainly see COVID patients and I think a lot of the presentations that come to A&E like abdominal pain or chest pain or um, you know signs of stroke people are worried about coming to hospital um, and actually, we're really well staffed, we really have prepared for staff being off sick with COVID and things. So sometimes we're actually sat around waiting for patients. In some ways, I think it's positive because a lot of things that don't need to come to A&E come to A&E, and we're not getting those anymore. But I think there's a lot of people sitting at home with tummy pain that could be appendicitis, and they're worried about coming. Um, so I am worried about at the end of this pandemic whether general practice and ED is going to see kind of an influx of cases of patients that have been holding off for several weeks. Yeah, which is such a shame because then you'll catch them at crisis mode rather than being able to intervene much earlier on in the pathway. But I guess it's just down to what people feel comfortable with at the moment. And like you said, the misinformation, GP practices are open and A&E are well staffed like you said to handle the non-covid issues exactly. um so on to a lighter topic uh, away from covid um i know you guys which is why i wanted to have you on are very interested in health and well-being um fitness and nutrition all things i'm super passionate about and why i started nutritank so I just wanted to ask you, Frankie, let's start off with you. Could you tell us a little bit about your Instagram account, um, how you started to get into it? Was it always an interest for you at medical school? And yeah, what got you interested into health and fitness? Um, so I originally got into sort of fitness and living more healthily. Um, in my second year of med school, you'll know yourself that lecture days are really long. And I found that I was like learning how to treat other people and actually my own daily life was quite unhealthy. Um, in lectures, long hours, not really having much time to keep myself healthy. So I started to get into exercise then, mainly as a, di as a way to unwind at the end of a busy day. And you know what medics are like, we love reading about things that we're interested in. So mm -hmm. I kind of started reading literature on exercise and things and ended up doing a personal training qualification and kind of did that um working as a personal trainer to fund myself through university um so i basically started my instagram about five years ago 
mainly as a fitness thing. And I've always been kind of interested in how exercise and good nutrition can prevent diseases occurring rather than just learning how to prescribe pills, for example. Um, and then as I was like, approaching graduating as a doctor, I realised there was actually quite a lot of health advice being given out on social media by people who weren't necessarily qualified to do so. So I would see think people like personal trainers talking about contraception and things. And whilst I understand it was with good intention, they weren't necessarily the appropriate people to be talking about that. Um, so I just thought there was definitely a space for doctors on social media. Um, and that's why Dr. Frankie J started about two or three years ago. Um, and since then, I've definitely seen a rise in the number of doctors providing evidence-based information on social media. And I think that's really important because we do have a role in public health. And, for example, in a GP practice, um, because I was a trainee, I would see maybe four patients an hour, which I know is a lot less than um, fully qualified GPs. But if you think about the impact you're having in an hour there on four patients' well-being if you're reaching a much larger larger audience on social media, you can get your message out mm-hmm. to a much larger cohort. Um, so that's basically why why I'm doing it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And social media is a fantastic platform to spread helpful health messages. And I agree with you, there does need to be more regulation in place. And we had... Um, yeah, Jamie Oliver's nutritionist on um, who their podcast comes out today. And she was just explaining to our listeners about the regulation behind the nutritionist title and how it's not protected. So all these things, you know, are quite complicated because then the public don't really know where they're going for their information. So it's really useful. If you see someone with hundreds of thousands of followers, you naturally think, well, they must have got a good reputation with the public. They wouldn't have those followers for no reason. And actually, sometimes it's because a person looks a certain way or people like their personality and they're following them for those reasons because they like the person. But that doesn't make them... Credible, yeah. Credible in that topic area. I know, it's a a weird world we live in when in the hospital world, you know, you've got that really ingrained hierarchical structure with consultant at the top and then when it comes to social media you can be incredibly junior and have you know millions of followers um compared to a professor or a consultant yeah and that's actually something that I personally struggled with um that I would be asked to contribute to magazines or radio shows for example about a certain topic and in the back of my mind I would think well surely a consultant gynecologist is better to speak about this than me but actually, the level that we're speaking about to the yeah. public is quite basic. And, you know, most doctors that have actually got experience with patients can talk about those things. And we are still better to talk about these than someone who has no qualifications at all. So if any kind of doctors that are listening to this and kind of are interested in getting into the media scene, I'd really encourage it because I think um, if we can kind of be the port of call for health-related topics, then people can stick to their own lanes a little bit more in terms of fitness and nutrition things. Absolutely. No, that is really good advice. And you're right, if you need to see a specialist, you would see it be referred to for specialist information. Um, so tell us and our listeners, uh, what's what's your niche favourite things within the fitness world? What do you like to do? In terms of my own personal training? Yeah, what do you get up to? 
So um, when I was at medical school, I loved doing weights and things in a gym. Um, but actually, since starting work a few years ago, my schedule completely changed. And now I really like group exercise classes. So I do F45, which is a 45-minute um, high-intensity interval workout. And it's really social. So I love that at the beginning or the end of a busy day, I get fitness and I get a bit of a social life with it. Yeah. So I would really recommend that. Amazing. So on to you, Christy. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to become a doctor? Because I know you trained as a physio first. And so just tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, thanks. Um, so yeah, I was, um, I, when I was in school, I was a bit of a science geek. So I, I did love kind of all of the, the medical, like biology and, and science. And so I kind of knew that I wanted to go into healthcare, but actually I was really interested in, in exercise and the way of the, the, you know, how our body worked and things, because I was a dancer from a young age. And, and so physiotherapy really, really interested me. And um, so I decided to qualify as a physio and um, I did acupuncture and I did, um, uh, you know, my, I worked as a physio for a couple of years. And then, you know, when I was training as a physio and I was in hospital, I was always looking at the doctors thinking, oh I'd love to be doing that and I was always really interested in in like what the doctors were doing and I'm, I'll never have regrets because I think my physio um, like degree and my career as a physio was amazing um, as a platform for starting medicine but I was always intrigued um, and I was always wanting to do more I guess um, as a physio so that's why I decided to uh, retrain as a doctor and then um, essentially I've, I then you know, went through medical school as, as you do, and um, I did the graduate scheme, and then I, I did my junior doctor years, and then decided I wanted to be a GP, so I, I trained as the GP, and I've now been working as a GP for three years now, and um, mm. and then, you know, the problem is, is that I, I was doing GP, and I was, I was enjoying it, but I was getting so frustrated by 10-minute consultations, you know, I was seeing 36 patients a day, you know, one after the other, like a treadmill, and, you know, I was getting so frustrated that I wasn't getting to the root cause of people's problems, and, you know, I was just touching the surface, and although you can bring patients back, you know, because of the sheer demand of, um, of, of general practice at the moment, you know, I was only seeing patients of every four weeks, which was not enough, and so... You know, I'm still, I am still a practicing GP, but um, essentially I decided that I wanted to set up as a private health and life coach because I really wanted to help people to change their, um, you know, their, their lifestyle and, and help uh, help manage uh, like their mental health problems, their stress, their anxiety, and, and also, um, you know, make those um, modifiable uh, sort of lifestyle changes, and which you can't do in 10 minutes. <laughs> so you can have a good go at it, but you can't, you know, it's not hugely effective. So that's why I decided I wanted to go and do it privately. So I had a good hour with patients and, and I had a little bit more of a rapport with them. Um, and it, it's so far so good. It's working out really, really well. Yeah, no, it sounds super beneficial to be a GP and health coach alongside it. They're very complimentary and obviously yeah. you do make perhaps greater change. Um, could you tell our listeners and maybe interested clinicians um, how long does it take to become a health coach? What does it actually entail? Yeah, so um, actually, there's loads of different um, health coaching courses, and actually, I did it um, throughout kind of my GP journey. Um, so you know, it, you can do um, 
two-year courses. You can do kind of um, uh, different weekends. So it really varies in which which you do. So because I've done a life coaching course as well, um, I didn't do the kind of the, the, the one that sort of takes two years. I kind of did it in, in sections along my, my training, um, which worked really well for me because I was working full-time. Um, but essentially, there's loads and loads of different ways you can do it. And if you just want to be a health coach, um, and, you know, then, then you probably will want to do more of the kind of the two-year um, uh, courses but there's loads of them and as a GP trainee you get told about them um, and probably as a as a junior doctor as well I don't know we got we got told all about these different health coaching courses motivational courses coaching courses and so I just sort of um, jumped onto to one of those and it was it was just great and to be fair like as doctors we're never we're never not learning yeah. so you might do a course that takes however long six months or something but you're always going to be doing top-ups and and learning along the way just that's the way of our you know the way of our job isn't it exactly your toolkit's endless and it is wonderful that you can do training courses and go to uh, weekend conferences and get more tools for your toolbox so uh, really interesting to hear and um, within health coaching was there quite a large emphasis on the art of motivational interviewing so were you taught much more on how to help a patient enact behavioral change which I know is really hard to do in a 10 minute GP consultation yeah, absolutely. You know, motivation to change is key to making the change, you know, and mm. so I find that um, often is in that GP tech consultation, you know, you, you just identify that there is a problem and then you identify what you need to do about it and then it's you kind of leave the patient on their own to go do it themselves and you hope that you motivate them in that 10 minutes, but essentially it's, it's really hard because, you know, for a change to happen, that firstly, they need to want to change and secondly, you know, they, they need to have those steps and support really to be able to make some of these quite major lifestyle changes um, for for their health so so yes motivational interviewing and the coaching techniques um, that we learn is is really key to help people change and I know you've done this as an extra qualification but do you think and maybe Frankie you want to chime in here too do you think that would be useful for there to be more of this type of education within medical training especially when it comes to you know to the realm of nutrition and lifestyle medicine of course you need readiness from the patient first before they can actually feel engaged to make the nutrition and lifestyle changes so do you think it would be useful at a more junior level to have it ingrained into the skill set of um, medical students and junior doctors I, I really do, yeah, I, I'm sure Frankie would agree with me, but um, I really do think so, because I think that um, it's just an amazing skill to have to be able to help people make um, changes in their lifestyle, and I think it's, it's, it's a great life skill to have, and whether you're a GP, whether you're a, you know, a consultant, a junior doctor, you know, you're always helping people to try and make those lifestyle changes um, for, you know, to prevent um, chronic disease, so, you know, at any stage in your, your medical mm. um, career, I think motivational and health coaching is, is key. So I think it should be um, part yeah. of uh, medical school training. Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Like we do not get enough nutrition training in particular. Um, in terms of like motivational speaking as well, I definitely find that I kind of adopt that myself in consultations. I try and get patients to take responsibility for their own health and things. But actually, I've had no formal training on that, and I know that whilst that might be an area of strength for me and I'll lack skills in other places, some people will lack those kind of skills. And I think actually having a more um, solid teaching on that, when we have our communication skills training, for example, uh, that definitely should be included. Because 
I'm not saying that we should be, you know, the port of call in terms of nutrition. I think there's still the role for nutritionists and dietitians in the NHS. But it's good that we can just at least mention it a little bit more. Um, you only tend to talk about what you're confident in. So I think the doctors coming up in the new generation have more of a self-interest in this and kind of learn about it themselves and will mention it. But um, sort of doctors that trained long before lifestyle medicine was even really a concept may neglect this. Um, and I definitely think even just mentioning, you know, and if you say to someone, eat a little bit healthier, that means nothing to them. But if you can give suggestions or if you can help them make swaps in their own diet, that goes a long way. I couldn't agree more. And it is quite baffling because when you look at NICE, um, and for our listeners who aren't medical, that's the National Institute for Clinical Excellence, which is the governing body for management within conditions and um, treatments prescribed. And when you look at the NICE pathways for most chronic conditions, the first line management is to offer diet and lifestyle advice. And I've seen it on placement, um, you know, countless times that's, that step will be skipped because like you say, Frankie, doctors just aren't confident enough to give that advice because they haven't been taught it it's not part of their toolkit and when you are seeing as many patients as you're seeing for instance in general practice Christy you become you know probably automatic and you're just going 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 through the motions without thinking oh um, I could perhaps mention diet here but if it becomes part of a template structure like we talk about alcohol and smoking within social history you just ask about their diet and lifestyle and then signpost them like you say uh, Frankie to useful resources and don't you know make vague suggestions but make useful ones then you can send that patient on the right pathway and then should they need specialist advice they can see a dietitian hopefully exactly and I think there's a lot of discrepancies because the doctors that have a personal interest in things like diet and exercise their patients will get that information because you talk about what you enjoy talking about yeah. So I will always ask patients about their diet, um, whereas if there's another doctor who is equally qualified but doesn't have a personal interest in health and nutrition and things, then they might not mention it. So I think it definitely should be more in kind of the routine things that we're taught about. Absolutely. And um, I'll link you guys the paper af- after, but we um, collaborated with dietitians, nutritionists, and um, the organisation Nedbro, which is a nutritional think tank in Cambridge. And we brought a paper out a couple of weeks ago in BMJ Prevention and Nutrition. And it looked at uh, survey responses that we collected of medical students and junior doctors' attitudes towards um, giving nutritional advice. And they all came back and said, this is on a whole, Um, It's not due to a lack of time that they don't feel that they can give the advice. It's due to a lack of confidence. And as you guys know, confidence only comes from practice, 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 doing it like, you know, your OSCEs, you practice it a million times before you feel comfortable. And then like you're practicing doctors now, it becomes, you know, second nature. So it is important we get it into training, I think. And so um, I just wanted to ask you guys a little bit about how you think uh, perhaps amongst your colleagues, maybe those that are more sceptical, do you think attitudes towards nutrition and fitness on a whole are changing in medicine? How are your interactions with colleagues that, you know, don't really know about um, the world of nutrition and lifestyle medicine? I have probably limited experience um, just because I've only worked for a couple of years. Um, But I 
actually think people are more engaged with this now. Um, when I was working in general practice, um, one of the trainee JP, uh, GPs set up like a healthy living session where patients could drop in one afternoon a week and we had like Zumba classes going on and we had recipe ideas for them and things and they were really things that these people could do so it was suitable for our demographic that are um, more deprived being in East London um, and I think the more senior people in the GP were really receptive to this so I think that people are recognising how important this direction of medicine is um, and people who do know about it are really pioneering it and people who don't know as much about it are being really warm and sort of letting this change happen but that's just a limited experience I have. And Christy? Yeah I would agree with you actually because um, I, I think earlier on in my career it was not as uh, as much of I, I don't know, it was more of a taboo subject, really, I felt. Um, and it was only, what, four or five years ago? And I really do feel like in the last couple of years it has become um, more normal to, to be firstly discussing it, but also uh, in my two, two, three GP practices that I've worked in recently, um, you know, the, the, the team themselves, so the doctors, the nurses, the pharmacists, and the, and the um, reception staff have all been trying to uh, be healthier, so with their exercise and, and nutrition. And it's so nice that a lot of uh, GP surgeries are trying to encourage their staff to be more active. So maybe go at lunchtime, go for like a walk together if we have time. We'd never have time, but when we do have time, we try. And then, you know, or um, or at least, uh, you know, I take my, my workout here with me um, to my GP surgery. So um, after work, we tend to do like a workout in their garden because we work in a really nice like, sort of old house kind of uh, practice and um and so as a as a team we are finding that we are all trying to um you know be encouraged to to do more exercise as a, as a team um and and that's really good for our, our mental health and obviously our physical health but also uh, one of my practices we did yoga we had a yoga um, lady coming in like once a month i know it wasn't very often but it was still really nice to see so changes are happening you know people are realizing the importance of doing exercise and, and eating healthily for our mental and physical health and um, obviously it's going to help productivity efficiency um our you know our mental resilience so you know it's 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 so important to, to start recognising this more. Yeah, no, I mean, that's brilliant to hear that there are these things in place for healthcare professionals to reduce burnout and, you know, increase resilience. And it's it seems like it's happening a lot more in GP land than perhaps secondary care, just because you guys are the gatekeepers, you have people come in with their first presentations, and so you really are in a position to practice what you preach. And so it is great to hear that you're having the social as well well as the kind of um yeah physiological benefits from you know exercising as a group um so i wanted to ask you christy about um your interest in fitness and so what kind of things are you doing when you bring your workout gear to gp practice what kind of things do you do um in general Okay, so I've had a really interesting journey with um, exercise myself. So I, um, I've, I've kind of exercised all my life with being a dancer, but then when I um, 
was a junior doctor, I really got into high-intensity interval training, so HIIT workouts. I was a massive fan of F45, and I did all of these kind of classes. And actually, it was kind of de- to the detriment of my health, <laughs> I have to admit. Everyone's different, so it's all about finding balance. And for me, um, I did too much high-intensity exercise, and um, I needed to have a bit of downtime um, because I was in a very stressful job at the same time. So really, more recently, I, I try and get a bit of a uh, bit more of a balance of high-intensity exercise with really restorative exercise. So, for example, when I go to my GP surgery, um, you know, I really do like um, having that kind of stress release by doing something high-intense. So we do do um, like bodyweight workouts, and we take weights, and we have resistant bands, and we do like a you know a, a short, sharp sort of. 15, 20 minutes um, sort of high intensity exercise routine, which is great. And I do that a couple of times a week. But I need to be mindful for myself. And as I said, everyone's different. Um, but for me, I really do need some some like restorative exercise, like yoga or Pilates, um, and and also just kind of general stretching. And and so yeah, for me, I I have a I, I do I don't have I'm not a member of a gym. I'm, I'm not a member of any of these um, classes. So I just have a small flat. I have my mat. I've got a few weights. I've got resistance bands, and I can just do a full body workout with my my own body weight. Um, so so yeah. I do a huge mixture but for me I've really needed to find the right balance for myself sure I'm actually the exact same um I've got scoliosis and like other back issues so high intensity just doesn't work for me so luckily for me my mom's been a Pilates teacher for 20 years so she got me she got me super into it but I've actually found that which she doesn't like as much but I prefer yoga and I just find that that just suits my body it really helps with yeah, yeah. exactly aches and pains and everything um, it's all to the individual I mean I wish I could run and it not hurt my body but it just does <laughs> so um yeah all you know no one size fits all so um it sounds like you both are very um health conscious and have quite a good work-life balance for medical students and your NHS colleagues that are listening, could you give some self-care strategies that you'd recommend? My number one tip for self-care, and I love raving about this, is the importance of sleep. Mm-hmm. When I first got into this healthier living thing where I started exercising more and um, taking more time to invest in nutrition and things, I realized I was doing it at the expense of sleep. So I might stay up late cooking a healthy lunch for the next day or I might get up super early before lectures or work um, to fit in a workout. And I realized that it was eating into my sleep time. Um, And I read loads of books and things about sleep and how important it is for both our physical and mental well-being um, and even on like our life expectancy and things. And I really want to emphasize that sleep should be a priority i think in modern day society we see sleep as laziness and there's annoying phrases that go around like sleep when you're dead and no rest for the wicked and you know prime ministers say they only sleep five hours a night and things and i think it's really detrimental to our health so if i'm going through a a period where i think i really need to focus a bit more on self-care i'm not looking after myself uh, the first thing i'll do is be really strict with myself on a bedtime, waking up and make sure I'm getting consistent sleep um, for a period at least. I know it's not always um, easy when we're working irregular shift patterns, but I just, now I see sleep as a priority. I don't see it as a waste of time. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I completely agree. Sleep is an absolute game changer. If you don't have enough sleep, you, you your day the next day is just an absolute disaster. Your efficiency, you eat wrong, you don't exercise right. You know, it is an absolute game changer. I completely agree with that. Um, so I guess for myself, my uh, my tip for the listeners would be um, to do something every day that makes you happy and makes you smile, makes you laugh, because I really feel like we neglect that a lot. And I think once you're in this kind of, uh, you know, this routine of work or studying, you know, you almost neglect the things that make you happy and, and make you feel good. And whatever that could be, whether it's baking, whether it's a bath, whether it's a face mask, whether it's, um, you know, massage or exercise or reading whatever it is you know I just feel like everyone every day you should you should just definitely do something that just makes you feel good and having a laugh because it naturally you know um you know releases all of your happy hormones and really help with your mental and physical health and I think going on from your point that we have jobs that they can be all-consuming like most of your friends end up being medics when you're at university. Um, you can often work long hours. You can have quite emotional things that happen to you in the day. And you come home from work and you want to talk about your day. And it can mean that work and sort of play, the boundaries are really blurred. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's a really good point is having a bit of me time every day. And for some people that might be exercise. For other people it might be a completely different hobby. Um and yeah, that's definitely a good tip. And have you guys kind of learnt this um, from your own self-interest and intuition? Or do you, are you seeing kind of greater changes within like the institutional structures around promoting this? I know, Christy, you spoke about at your G pra- GP practice how it's really good that you have group exercise classes. But Frankie, as an FY2 doctor, are you seeing any kind of support for well-being and things like that? I think theoretically it's there um like in the emergency department we have a quiet room that has a hammock and things in oh wow there's there's posters everywhere that say you know if you're struggling with your mental well-being here's some resources however I don't I don't think they're really as robust as they try and advertise um so particularly sort of coming out of f1 and being in f2 you're just learning the job and often that can mean you're not as efficient as it so as an F1, I know that at the beginning it would take me a lot longer to do a job than it did at the end of the year, and that would mean that I would run over and work late or I'd miss lunch or something. So whilst I think these things are in place, I definitely think when you're still finding your feet in medicine, yeah. um, it's quite hard to to look after your mental well-being because mm-hmm. you, you don't actually know how to do the job that efficiently yet, um, and you're not senior enough to think, you know, I can leave early today or you've got to get the job done because there's someone that's much more senior than you so I would say as a junior it's quite hard um and it's kind of your own responsibility I don't think people are really going to say to you you're not looking after your mental well-being enough yeah and how are you managing uh being an A&E and with your kind of night shift pattern at the moment how are you balancing everything think it's not too bad you work these long hours and the shifts are intense but actually you get quite a lot of days off so you'll have this short burst of intense work but then Mm -hmm. I might have three days off and particularly with these social distancing rules at the moment it means on those days off I have no choice but to relax yeah 
I'm a really social person and I try and get involved with, especially with the social media world, there's always events and things. So it can mean that I'm quite um, stretched normally day to day, whereas actually because of this lockdown thing, it means all my days off I'm actually resting. So it's been fine so far. That's really good to hear. And um, just for your information, um, I think it might, yeah, it might be quite handy for you both. There's um, a fantastic junior doctor-led uh, website called Beat COVID, which uh, Nutritank are contributing to the nutrition section. And it's by junior doctors who um, are at the Royal Free in London. And they've made like a really nice website to help NHS colleagues with this time. There's mindfulness um, uh, audios, there's yoga instructors, nutrition tips. So it is really great to see like that all the camaraderie that has come out of it between NHS colleagues helping each other. And, you know, so many are multi-talented like you guys who have PT qualifications, yoga teacher qualifications, and they're, you know, coming in to help their colleagues, um, you know, have free classes, whether it's online or in person. Um, so really great. And um, so... Christy, I wanted to ask you about your work with restorative retreats and for you to tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into it because we're talking about days off and, you know, relaxing and having time to yourself. So how did you come up with the concept of restorative retreats? Yeah, so um, to be honest, it was it was when I realised that stress and kind of burnout was affecting me, um, and it was only until I actually took some time out that I realised that stress and um, kind of well, stress was impacting on my health, and that was when I was kind of burning the candle at both ends. I was over exercising, I was overworking, and I wasn't having enough downtime. And it was when sort of you know I was realising that I was having health issues because of it that I needed to kind of just pause and take a deep breath and just take some time out and so I went away and I, I realized like I had to prioritize like downtime and, and just escaping the city I guess and so I thought to myself I would you know I just thought it would be so nice if I could be able to like help other people to escape the city and escape escape busy working life and um one of the co- the other co-founders um Yasmin is a Pilates instructor and we both were in very busy jobs she was in the corporate world mm-hmm. and then she changed careers to uh, become a Pilates instructor and so we both had experienced kind of stress and burnout and so uh, we decided that we'd come together and we would create um, this uh, this lovely kind of retreat retreat um, you know company where we would uh, take people um, away from the city and we'd go into the lovely countryside of Chichester and we would just help people to recognize the signs of stress anxiety and burnout and just help them to well, give them loads of tools um, to be able to help manage those symptoms and at least sort of almost build their mental and physical resilience and um, alongside that we do amazing like nutritional um, we do vegan food and we're in a beautiful country house with gorgeous gardens in the countryside and we just talk about the importance of sleep nutrition and um and you know the tools to help with um with uh, anxiety and stress and we do pilates and stretching and mobility work and it's just so restorative Mm. it's amazing i love that connecting to nature aspect of it 
getting into the countryside no it's wonderful it's so important and the, and the feedback from it has been so wonderful and everyone just feels so restored by the end of it hence the term restorative <laughs> retreats because you know we're doing yeah. restorative exercise we're doing restorative movement we're you know we're really um encouraging people to have a really good night's sleep and just and just have fun as well so mm. it's just yeah it's i, I love it and it's amazing and the, the people who have been on it have enjoyed it too which is the main thing yeah amazing sense of community and I know you've got your own um, doctors community, the your lifestyle doctors um, yeah. organisation as well. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so your lifestyle doctors was um, brought together by um, five of us who, uh, four of us are GPs, one of us is a pediatrician, and we all had the same passions and we met at different conferences along the way and we all realised that we all wanted to share the same um, kind of passion of uh, preventative medicine and lifestyle changes and so we decided just to form a, a group called your lifestyle doctors and it's just been lovely because we've just got all... We've all got very different uh, approaches, but that with with the same kind of mm-hmm. um, message, and we've got all different life experiences. A lot of them have children, um, and you know, one of them's a new mum, the other's a pediatrician and a, and a nutritional therapist, and and so we've got some all together. We've got some really great skills and and experiences, and it's just it's just lovely to be able to spread the word about lifestyle changes um, mm-hmm. from you know. A, a 360 degree approach I guess and could you just for our listeners sake I know who they are but could you just tell us who are in uh, who's in that group so I know it's Venetia yeah. who I absolutely love and admire Dr. Chintel's Kitchen, she's the amazing chef of... Um, so creative, it's mad. Yeah, she's so creative, it's amazing. And then we've got uh, Poonam, um, who's the new mum, and uh, she's also kind of like a, a social media doctor. And, um, yeah, and, and Sumi, who's amazing as well, she's really into meditation and mindfulness, and she's a health coach as well. And then myself. So yeah. it's a lovely little group of people, it's nice. And Sumi's part of Connery Medicine, uh, who Nutri-Tank yes. work very closely with and yeah I was lucky enough to be on the pilot course in Bristol so yeah really fantastic and Frankie uh, tell our listeners so you're nearly finished your foundation training program have you had any thoughts about where you want to go with your career do you have any advice for people um, who are in a similar position to you or in the year below about uh, thinking about the future and how to make decisions around it so interestingly, um, although I do all this media stuff and I have an interest in lifestyle medicine, I actually want to pursue a career in oncology. Um, so I'm on the academic foundation program um, and my academic block was in cancer clinical trials and I absolutely loved it. Um, so I'm doing a fellowship next year, basically um, working on cancer trials. So phase one drugs. Um, it's all clinical. It's not lab based. Um, it's just basically being the doctor on the trials and um, so I love that and then after that I'll see if I'm ready to go into uh, the integrated medical training um, my advice to people would be to just go for the career you like I think we're often put off by things based on but the shifts are nice or you know I don't want to do the core training part of it mm-hmm. but actually I think being a junior is a bit of a struggle but I think later on in life um, it'll be worth it so We've already worked for kind of over 10 years to get to this point. So I think it's important to pick a career that you're actually going to enjoy rather than just to get to the top fast. Um, And I'd also say there's no rush. So I'm going to do this clinical fellowship and that will give me a good idea of actually whether I want to do this for a long time. 
Um, and I'd say even after that, you don't need to rush into specialty training. There's lots of sort of fellow jobs you can do or locum jobs and things. Um, so I'm kind of just taking my time and making sure I really want to do it. And I guess that also gives me time to see whether the media side of things is something I want to pursue um, more. As at the moment, it's on the side and it probably could be sort of more at the forefront of my career. I'm not sure yet. That's exciting. So many options. Yeah, yeah, I just don't think you have to be on the treadmill. Mm. Um, I think you can really go off on a tangent and it's kind of, you know, you'll go off on a tangent and people will be like, wow, what are you doing? And then it'll work out and everyone's like, oh, I wish I'd done that. Yeah. I completely agree, actually, because I think we're so lucky as doctors as well. I think, you know, we have such an amazing um, skill set and it is so lovely as a, as a doctor that we can actually branch out into so many different areas of medicine. And I think we're hugely lucky to be able to do that. And if you do have a bit of a career break to go somewhere a bit different, then you can come back as long as it's not too long. You know, you can travel abroad. You know, mm-hmm. we are really lucky that we can do so much with our job. Yeah, completely. It's such a versatile career. And I know it's a very privileging career. So it's really good to hear both of your perspectives, especially as I'm still not on, (laughs) I'm still not on that kind of, um, yeah, I don't want to say treadmill because you've said it's not, but I haven't got there quite yet. Got one year to go until I'm, yeah, in the foundation program. I think you're already doing like extraordinary things you're not just on the medical school treadmill like you've done set up the whole of nature tank during your medical journey so um, i'm sure you'll have lots of opportunities exactly it's incredible what you've done so far <laughs> thank you guys no it's amazing to meet like everyone in this community and have such great mentors and hear from yeah hear from people in the years above it's honestly so useful and so um we're rounding up and i'd love to have you guys on the pod again soon and maybe get you speaking at some of our events because that would just be fantastic of such good role models um so for a fun question i want to hear from both of you what would be your ideal last supper so that would be your your (laughs) not to be tragic but say you've got one day left to live your ideal starter, main and dessert. So whoever wants to go first. I've had this planned out for years. Okay, go on. It's a good travelling game, isn't it? A disclaimer, I'm going to offend all vegans. It's so fine. Mine is definitely not vegan. My starter would be um, a whole crusty French stick bread with leopard butter. Um, My main course is fillet steak cooked rare with chunky chips, peppercorn sauce, and peas. And then my may, uh, my dessert would be melty middle chocolate pudding. What's that? Melty, melty... You know, like a chocolate fondant. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, with the gooey in the middle. Yummy, yummy. I love that. That is literally the best meal ever. Um, <laughs> I, I agree. To be fair, I'm going to offend every single person as well. <laughs> because I, I'm similar. To be fair, I would, I would probably start with... Uh, this sounds really... Um, yeah, anyway, I, I love like seafood, so I'd probably have like prawns or lobster or something like that to start... Um, with loads of crusty bread and butter, definitely. Um, and then I would 100% have, like, a beef wellington, um, rare, and loads of, like, 
roast potatoes and gravy and, and veg. I would have veg because I do actually love my veg as well. And then dessert. I would 100% have a sticky toffee pudding with ice cream. Um, so, I mean, you're going to have to go for it, don't you? Because there are stuff that you can Exactly. Can't just go for it, so. <laughs> Everything Why goes not? out the window. Forget exactly. about longevity. <laughs> Well, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. You've both been such amazing sources of information and taught us about, you know, how to have a reliable social media uh, platform and how to get involved in community things. So thank you both. To find Dr. Frankie Jackson Spence on Instagram, you can follow at Dr. Frankie JS. And to find Dr. Christy Lewis, you can follow at Dr. Christy Lewis. These will all be in the show notes. Nutritank are proud to have featured on many of the UK's leading networks and publications. Woo-hoo! Jamie Oliver's website and his Channel 4 show, Jamie and Jimmy's Friday Night Feast. BBC News, BBC Radio 4 on Sheila Dillon's The Food Programme, Women's Health, BBC Bristol and the Royal Society of Medicine. Nutritank is an innovative information hub of food, nutrition and lifestyle medicine, promoting the need for greater nutrition and lifestyle medicine education within healthcare training and empowering members of the public to improve their health. Join the movement to bring greater nutrition and lifestyle medicine education nationwide. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Remember, if you want to find more about Nutritank, visit the website, nutritank.com. Also, find us on Twitter, nutritank underscore info and Instagram, Nutritank underscore official. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It will really help with our mission at Nutritank to be the leading hub for food, nutrition and lifestyle medicine. Bye for now.